It was Barcelona, Spain in 1990. And a British runner who was a 400-meter record holder named Derek Redmond was a favorite to win this race. And as Derek Redmond stepped into the starting block, he was in peak physical shape. He was in the best shape of his career. And the starting gun finally sounded and he took off. And he started well. And everything seemed to be going fine. He seemed to be headed for that victory that he had in his mind. He seemed to be on track to run that race in the way he had envisioned it. But as he got on the back half of the race, something unexpected happened. Redmond's hamstring snapped. And in excruciating pain, he went straight to the ground. And he was lying there in pain. There are videos of it you can watch on YouTube. He's lying there in pain. He's balled up and he's weeping. And he's not just weeping because of the pain of his ruptured hamstring. He's also crying because this was not what he imagined his race would be like. He's laying on the ground writhing in pain, but in his own words, he said, I was going to finish that race if it was the last thing I ever did. I didn't want them to write next to my name, DNF, did not finish. So what Redmond does then is he gets up and he starts to hobble along. The pain is etched on his face, you can see in the YouTube video. And he tries to limp along to the, to the finish. And not only is the pain intense, but there's additional difficulty now because all of these Olympic officials and all of these doctors keep coming to him, trying to get him to quit trying to get him to give up. What are you doing? You don't have to do this. You might as well just, it's over. You might as well just quit now. But this is, this is what Derek says in his own words as something else unexpected happens. All those doctors and officials were coming onto the track trying to get me to stop, but I was having none of it. Then... With about a hundred meters to go, I became aware of someone else on the track. I didn't realize it was my dad, Jim. I just said, Dad, I want to finish. Get me back in. And he said, okay, we'll finish it together. So Jim Redman who had pushed his way through the officials who were trying to stop him, would not let anyone stop him from getting to his son. He pushes through the officials. He comes to his son. He puts his arm around his waist. He throws his arm over his shoulder, and he takes his son, and he bears him along, headed toward the finish line. And as they went along, Derek's father kept repeating over and over again, you're a champion. You've got nothing to prove. You're a champion. You've got nothing to prove. You're a champion. You've got nothing to prove. 
When they crossed the finish line, 65,000 fans erupted in applause and gave a standing ovation. It was Derek's perseverance and his father's love that got him to the finish line. It was Derek's perseverance and his father's love that got him to the finish line. When it comes to the Christian life, many people begin well. They start off strong in church attendance and Bible study. They start off strong in attending small group and, and showing up at service events. But it's not long before we encounter unexpected difficulties, unexpected doubts, temptations, trials, and suffering. We encounter pains that take us to the ground, sometimes literally. We lose jobs. Our physical health wavers. Our finances get tight. People wound us. We suffer mental health issues. Our children end up in the hospital. Our dreams are crushed and the tears begin to flow. And there we lie, crumpled up on the track. Pain etched in our faces. Not sure what to do next. Because this is not how we imagined the race would go. This is not what I imagined when I signed up to follow Jesus. I didn't think of it this way. I thought of all the good. I thought of all the benefits. I thought of all the gifts. I didn't imagine this part. And in these times, we often discover that we have, we've spent a lot of time looking back at the history of our faith. But we have not spent much time planning for the future of our faith. Are you planning right now, today, to be firm in the faith 15 years from now, 20 years from now, when you lie on your deathbed? Are you making plans today to love Jesus for a lifetime, or are you looking back in the past to things that you did and experiences that you had and relying upon those past experiences to carry you through a life of drifting. What are you doing today when it comes to faith? That's the question I want us to think about today. Are we making plans to finish well? Scripture teaches us that one of the key marks of true faith, one of the distinguishing marks of those who have been united to Christ, those who are saved, is that they persevere in faith to the end. That is one of the marks of genuine faith. How do you know you are dealing with genuine faith? It perseveres until the end. That's a mark of true faith, of true union with Christ. One of the marks of those that, that have true, true faith is that through the pain, 
through the disappointment, through tears, the Christian says, I am going to finish this race if it's the last thing I ever do. Real faith says, I don't want them to write DNF next to my name. Did not finish. True Christians hobble along at times. True Christians will have ruptures and will sin grievously and will at times hit the ground in doubts and despair and struggles. We may at times find ourselves wandering truly, but Christians never wander completely. True Christians hobble even through the pain, even with the suffering etched on our faces. When detractors come to us and try to tell us to give up the race, those who are truly united to Christ say, I'm having none of that. I won't be shamed off of Christ. I will not be made to fear in such a way that I abandoned Christ. Those who are united to Christ, press on. We continue through our series this morning. We've been walking through the doctrine of salvation. What does the scripture teach about our salvation? How we're saved? What is entailed in our salvation? What are the dynamics of being saved? And we're continuing through our series this morning by climbing up to that mountain peak that is known as perseverance. And we're going to look at this through two points. We're going to see the urgency of perseverance and the certainty of perseverance. The urgency of perseverance and the certainty of perseverance. So let's look at our first point, the urgency of perseverance. Now, I'm going to readily acknowledge to you that this is a challenging one to talk about. Because there are, there are errors that you can fall into. And so I'm trying to guide us down a course that is true to what the scriptures teach. And we need to feel the force of the scriptures teaching us. Okay? So our passage for this morning, we read two chapters out of the book of Hebrews. And we have already worked through a series on the book of Hebrews. And if you remember, it was written to a group of people who were struggling to hold on to their faith in the context of severe challenges. They were tempted to go back to something else that they had trusted formerly. And the writer of Hebrews, in order to get them to turn around, he doesn't deploy smooth tactics. He doesn't try to trim off the rough edges and say, oh, well, okay, we'll just, we'll just take a part of Jesus. Just take some of them. And well, we can maybe fit them into what makes it more comfortable for you in the culture. He doesn't do that. What he does is he gives them an astonishing, astonishingly grand vision of Jesus and a very sharp warning to not drift away from him, to not ignore the word as it came to them. And here in our passage for this morning, there is a thematic arc, okay? I want you to follow this with me. Here is the 30,000 foot view of what happens in this passage. And it's important for you to hear it so that you can get the teaching here, okay? Here's the ark. 
He begins with Moses, and he sets up this wilderness rebellion context. He talks about Moses and the role that he played in God's leading of his people from coming out of Egypt all the way to the promised land. He sets up a wilderness context, okay? And then he hits the theme of rest, talking about Joshua and the rest that Joshua led people into. And then he gets to the word of God, the sharp sword of God that that pierces down to the heart level. Regardless of what kind of external actions you're able to produce, the word of God is able to get down to the heart of things. And it's a reminder that no one No one can avoid being laid bare before the God to whom we must give account. Exposure before God, the giving of an account. And then he moves finally to the sympathy of our great high priest who shows mercy and offers grace to help us in our time of need. Now, he sets them up. Why does he do this? Why does he go through this whole rigmarole with Moses and and Israel in the wilderness and and the falling of the people in the desert on the way to rest? And then he reiterates it through the lips of David in Psalm 95. And he says, it's live again today. Do not harden your hearts. He's, He's setting them up in this way for this reason. He wants them to understand themselves as as the new wilderness community. You too are in the wilderness. And as much as it's easy to look back on Israel in the wilderness and blast them for their complaining and blast them because they saw a sea part and come back together on their enemies. They saw God bring plagues on Egypt. They saw astonishing things. And yet, in the space of a few years... They are blasting God. Did you bring us out here into the desert to kill us? Moses, you just bring us out here so that we could die of thirst? Moses, Moses, Moses. What are you doing, Moses? Life is not cushy like I thought it would be. You know what? I kind of liked dinner back in Egypt, Moses. And yada, 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 yada. And it's easy to look back and say, ha, sinners. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's bringing us in and he's saying, you're the new wilderness community. And some of you are in just as dangerous of a place. You haven't seen the Red Sea part. You've seen the Son of God hung on the cross, dead in the grave, and raised up. You've seen greater things. You've been rescued with a greater deliverance. You have been privy to more astonishing things. And will you neglect your soul, drift into complaining, and woe is me, to your peril, and fail to enter his rest? This This is why he's bringing them into this context. They are the new wilderness community. He is addressing the covenant community. And the new covenant community is a mixed multitude as well. And that's why these warnings are not just fake warnings. There are some who belong to the new covenant community. They are members of the church. They have been baptized. They profess faith 
but they will not make it to the end. As the Apostle John put it in 1 John, they were among us, but they were not of us. They left us. And they showed that they were not of us because they departed from us. This is John speaking about the new covenant community, and that's important because we cannot see with God's eyes. We have to deal with one another with respect to the covenant, its obligations and its promises. And that's what he does here. He draws on the book of Numbers to establish the landscape of the audience. You're the, you're the new wilderness community. Can you picture yourself? I know we're in the city, but this is the wilderness. Do you see it? We have been, we have been privy to astonishing things that the Lord has done. And we are confronted every day with the question of what we're going to do in the desert. Now, in verses 1 through 6, Moses is brought into the picture, all right? He was God's designated mediator and leader for the people on their way out of Egypt to the promised land. Listen to what Numbers says about Moses. Numbers 12, verses 6 through 8. And the Lord said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Now listen, here's the reality. All the people had to do in order to make it to the promised land was listen to Moses the mediator and persevere through the wilderness. That's all they had to do. Listen to Moses the mediator and persevere through the wilderness. Now what he does is he says, now let me flip that. Because Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. But Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. Jesus is worthy of greater glory than Moses. See, Jesus is God's appointed mediator. And if we want to make it to his rest, all we have to do is follow God's appointed mediator and persevere through the wilderness. Now, here's the sad thing. It's meant to land on us. This is meant to teach us. Listen to this. In Numbers chapters 12 through 14, the people are on the verge of entering the promised land. They're at the doorpost of God's rest, but in the home stretch, on the last lap of the race, in the final seconds of the game, they fall apart, and it all goes down the drain, and they do not enter his rest. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's exactly where you're situated. That's exactly where you're situated. You're on the doorpost. You're in the final seconds of the game. You're in the last lap of the race. You're in danger of abandoning it, abandoning it all. You have need of perseverance. The Israelites did not hold on to their confidence and hope, and they lost God's gift of a promised land. Are you seeing the comparison? The original audience and we ourselves enjoy the benefits of Jesus' revelation and mediation. 
And we're being called to hold on to our confidence and hope so that we do not lose our opportunity to enter into God's rest. And then the sermon turns in a more, uh, a, a more direct uh, angle in order to warn. And what these warnings do, family, is they show us the urgency of perseverance. The urgency of perseverance. I want you to listen to these passages again. Okay? Listen to the verses. Just listen carefully. This is coming straight from Scripture. Verse 6 of chapter 3. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast. Catascomen, to adhere firmly to traditions, convictions, or beliefs. If we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, if we hold fast. Verse 12, take care, blepite, watch out, beware the danger, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold, same verb, katakoskomen, our original confidence firm to the end, to the finish, to the goal, to the finality. This is what the text is saying. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. It means, it's where we get the word phobia, phobeo. It means profound measures of reverence and respect for God. He's not to be trifled with. Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 11. Therefore, let us strive. Spudazzo. Strive to be especially conscientious in discharging an obligation. To be zealous, eager, to take pains, to make every effort, to be conscientious, to break a sweat, to rearrange your schedule, to change your patterns and habits, to make an effort. To strive that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And do not miss the fact that the writer leads us to see that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That's why he says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It gets down into the, the secret parts. And God is not fooled by our performative actions that have all the trappings of being Christian while we're hollow inside. All the appearances, being able to fool the people around us while we are not the real deal. We are not becoming the real deal. We are trying to skew all of life to fit into our little confines, to, to have things be the way we want them to be. And anytime we bump up against the uncomfortable call of discipleship, we recoil and we start to let me get this thing in, fixed into a way that I, I can find it acceptable. He's saying, no, God gets down to the heart. It's the heart. And here's the deal. Scripture lands an important truth on us right here. This is what I want you to hear. Those who are saved, those who are united to Christ, persevere in faith to the end. The biblical representation of the believer's role in perseverance 
allows no room for passivity, moral carelessness, easy believism, or once saved, always saved. Oh, yeah, we're good. Oh, yeah, I, I, I trusted Jesus way back then, but I live however I want now. But I'm good, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I trusted Jesus back then, but I, I really, I think whatever I want and in whatever way my thinking comes up into, bumps up against the word of God, I just kind of can the word of God and do what I want to do. This is not the, the biblical picture of those who are in union with Christ. Jesus puts it this way. You know, I always like to put the hard words on the lips of Jesus because people are like, "What? you sound judgmental. I like Jesus. He's loving. He is. Jesus will also jack your stuff up, right? He stayed jacking folk up, all right? Listen to this. This is from Jesus. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Matthew 10, 22. So here's the deal. What I'm saying to you is this. We are not saved irrespective of how we live. Say that again. We are not saved irrespective of how we live. In the final analysis, the true Christian, despite trials and temptations, despite sufferings and difficult providence, despite questions and doubts, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? That was in John 6. People were leaving Jesus. And what he was saying was too hard. Eat his flesh and drink his blood? What? This man's teachings are crazy. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, do you want to go too? And they say, look, no matter how hard this is, no matter how much it grates me, no matter how embarrassing it could be at times to, to adhere to you, Jesus, we recognize there is no other place for us to go. No other place where we can find life. No other place where we can have hope in a future. It's only in you, Jesus. That's the confession of those who are united to Christ. When it comes to faith, perseverance is the test of reality. And if it's true, according to the words of Jesus and the apostles and all of Scripture, if it is true that the saints will persevere to the end, then it is equally true that the saints must persevere to the end. Okay? But there's a second important truth that the scripture lands on us. Yes, there is an urgency to our perseverance. But the second truth, and we must not leave this out, is that there is a certainty to our perseverance. Those of us who are united to Christ, amen. God preserves his people in faith until the end. And that's why at the tail end of our passage, we get this beautiful statement of Christ, our great high priest. Do you see your shortcomings? Do you see your failures? Do you see your weakness and how quick you are to drift? Well, it's good news for you that, that in the Christian faith, we have a great high priest who's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. The writer tells us that we must persevere, that we must strive, that we're not kept in the faith by our own strength, though. We're not kept by our own strength. We are not kept safe by our own willpower, but by, look at the text, drawing near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Mercy for our many sins. Mercy for our many failures. Mercy for our weaknesses. Mercy for our hard-heartedness. Mercy for our mental and emotional detachment from Christ, but also grace to help. Grace to help when we need strength to endure. Grace to help when we need motivation to press on. Grace to help when our faith is on the rocks. Grace to help when our broken emotions would mislead us into ungodly living and thinking. Grace to help when we so want to be liked by the culture that we begin to to submit to the demands of the culture rather than to stand firm in the face of the culture for the good of the culture. Grace to help in times of need. What do you need today in order to persevere? Do you need a complete resurrection? It's available in this great high priest. Do you need grace to get over the fear of man so that you can press on in faith? It's available in this great high priest because he lavishes such love that you don't need the approval of anybody else. Do you need grace to die to your stubborn desire to have things your way? It's in here. When you see the will of Christ put on hold for your salvation, it begins to melt your hard will. Your stubborn, iron, stiff-necked will. Grace to help. Now listen, there are two poles. There are two poles of error you can fall off to. Fear of losing your grip, losing your salvation. And presumption of maintaining your grip regardless of how you live. I'm going to say that again. There are two ways that people fall off in a way that does not integrate the urgency of perseverance and the certainty of perseverance because we're preserved by God. Some people live in the fear that they can lose their salvation, that they can lose their grip. And if I lose my grip, I who was united to Christ will be cut off. And then there's the other side where I feel... Like, I can presume that I'm, I'm cool no matter how I live down the road. Both are errors. Here's the deal. We have all through Scripture the, the confirmation that God will not lose any of his people. He will not lose any. Christ says, of all you have given me, I have not lost one. No one can pluck you out of my hand. That's what he says. What can separate me, Paul says. Romans 8, we're going to get there next week. Y'all come back now, you hear? Okay. We have all the confidence in the world that those of us who are truly united to Christ will be kept because he is a keeper. He is a keeper. The one who called you, the one who who elected you, who set his love on you before the creation of the world, who called you, who regenerated you, who justified you and adopted you, who is sanctifying you, will also preserve you and keep you until he finishes the work. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He finishes the job. God is not a quitter. 
He does not abandon his people. But also, remember this. This is important, and this is the way you ought to think of it. We said that union with Christ is the, that's the, the architecture of salvation. And when you're united to Christ, the benefits flow out of that union. Perseverance flows out of your union with Christ. The sign that you are truly united to Christ is that you persevere. You see that? It's not persevere to win God's love. It's perseverance is the sign that you have been loved and you've been united to Christ. So here's the deal. The spiritually sluggish should not take divine preservation as an excuse to coast. And the spiritually anxious should not take human responsibility as a cause to fear. I'm going to say that again. Listen carefully. Those who are spiritually sluggish, if you are spiritually sluggish in here this morning, if you realize that you just can't get your rear going, you just can't seem to want to care, you should not take the teaching of divine preservation as an excuse to coast because Hebrews, strive lest you seem to have missed entering his rest. Be careful. You, you're in danger of drifting. But also, those who are spiritually anxious... You, you want to follow God. You want to be true. Like, like you have good intentions and you're trying to be earnest and you're trying to engage the means of grace. You shouldn't take human responsibility that you have to persevere, that you have a part to play. You shouldn't take that as a cause to fear. Okay? Here's the deal. And this is the beauty of the passage. Today. Today. Don't, don't, don't focus on what you did five years ago or six months ago. Don't, don't tell me the glory stories of college where you were on fire for the Lord and you lived in community then. No, 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 no. The text says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The question is always, what am I doing with Christ today? Is it union and communion and delight and repentance today? Is it following him and dying to self today? Is it loving and serving neighbor in Jesus' name today? Is it bending my ideas and my thinking to the word of God today? That's the only way to persevere in this life. Today. Now here's, here's good news. I want you to hear this. Thinking about salvation in terms of union with Christ is a game changer. And far too often people have not taught the doctrine of salvation through the lenses of union with Christ. Listen, here's the deal. When you're united to Christ, God cannot reject you any more than he could reject Christ. All right? But it is equally true that when you're united to Christ, you can't fail to persevere to the end any more than Christ did. See that? Both are true. Last week, we heard the Apostle Paul ask a question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? He said, may it never be. And this week, it hits a similar note. Shall we ignore the need to persevere because God preserves us? May it never be. Divine preservation is what yields 
the saints' perseverance. Union with Christ yields persevering faith. It's a benefit of union with Christ. I know my union with Christ and have this confidence in the mode of perseverance. That's how I can have this confidence, that I know him, that I'm united to him. It's in the mode of perseverance. God does not save people abstracted from their perseverance. You hear that? God saves people through their persevering. Listen, remember Jesus' parable of the four soils. There is growth that is pretty to the eyes, but it's not a fruit-bearing growth. Not all growth is equal. Grow in your career, by all means. Grow in service to neighbor. Grow emotionally through going to a therapist and a counselor. But get hip to what Jesus says in Mark 4. Not all growth is fruit-bearing growth. And there's one kind of growth that yields fruit. And that is when you receive the word of God implanted. And you respond to the love of God in Christ in the gospel. And you live before him to please him. To glorify him. And to bring others into that orbit. Christian, you will have sin and failure. At times, you will fall. But you will become aware of someone else on the track. Your father will join you and by faith you'll say, Father, I want to finish. Get me back in. And he will say, we'll finish it together. And nothing will stop him from putting his arm around you and, and bearing you up and, and bringing you hobbling to the finish line. Hear this gospel word in your ear. Because when God the Father comes to you on that track as you are hobbling, he says, you're more than a conqueror. You've got nothing to prove. You're more than a conqueror. You have nothing to prove. You're more than a conqueror. You have nothing to prove. And when you cross that finish line, all of the heavenly hosts will rejoice that one sinner has been brought home. They will rejoice and be glad that you have made it into the kingdom. So press on through the difficulties and the trials. Press on through the disappointments and the temptations. Press on through the difficult providences and trials, through losses of jobs, through cancer, through heartache and disappointment, through the woundedness that you experience from other people. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Press on to know him and to be known by him. Press on in repentance. Press on in faith. Press on in hope. Press on in love to the end and you shall wear a crown. Let's pray. We praise you today, Lord Jesus, that you are a keeper of your people. And we pray that this morning we would live in such a way that we have a mind to be kept, to be a people that abides in you, that we would abide in you, the true vine, and that we would remember that apart from you, we can do nothing. We pray that we would find life in Christ alone. 
And that every day would find us growing in love, growing in faith, repenting of our sin, turning from our wretchedness and our selfishness, allowing our thoughts to be changed, to think your thoughts after you, even if it entails a hard road, even if it's hard things that lie ahead of us, even if the race isn't what we thought it was going to be when we got into this relationship, even if it's not what we thought it was going to be, we pray that you would help us to hobble along, trusting our Father to get us to the finish line. Let our ambition be to live in a way to please you and to live in a way that shows we know that you are pleased with us through union with Christ. So Lord, bless us your people. And bless all those who are working through, wrestling with everything that has been said today. I pray, we pray together as your people that you would meet them there and remind them, God, that Christians aren't those who have figured out all the answers. We don't know what everything on the label of the medicine bottle is. We just know that if we take it, we will be well. And through faith in Christ, we have been made well. So Lord, help them to see the forest through the trees and to place their trust in you today, knowing that there's no other hope except Christ alone. We love you and pray for your goodness in our lives and our faithfulness to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.